Welcome back. This is the Morning Brushback. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett, joined here remotely by my Chicago mayor of the future, Bobby Stevens. How are you, sir? Add, add co-host of the year to my uh, intro, please. Well, Bob, we're, we're, we're elapsing, or we're passing through episode 50. I don't know when which one is episode 50, because we're recording some of this time, and we're not doing them all live at this important junction. So at some point, we're missing a big celebration. It's really disappointing. But we have a great guest today, repeat guest. Coach Liam Bowen from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County is here. Liam, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on and having me back. I guess the first time, you know, didn't go so bad. So thanks for the return invitation. Yeah, you're actually one of the most popular shows. Um, there've been a couple that pushed you down the rankings, but you're like number one all time for a while. And then all the, the madness of Jeff Fry and Richard Skank kind of pushed you off, but you're in the 1300 views, something like that, which is pretty good. So, so. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take it, you know, where we can get it. You know, I'm just, I'm glad, uh, people are taking the time to listen. And like I said, just appreciate you guys having me on and appreciate you guys hanging with me that the reason I'm a little underdressed and, um, not even in my own house. I'm at my in-laws' place uh, up in Pennsylvania. So appreciate you guys squeezing me in. The vacation show. <laughs> yeah, I just finished vacation a, mode. Yeah, I just finished a slow pitch softball throwing lesson out in DC. So my influence <laughs> is spreading to different variations of the game. It's very, very interesting. But guys, a, he's a good dude, hard worker, wants to throw better. Like, whatever, you know, let's do it. It's like taking a golf lesson, right? Like. Yeah, like I mean, if you're playing it and you're serious about it and you want to have more fun, like, yeah. Um, so, Liam, what is the state of baseball? Obviously, Division One baseball is you guys is schools. Is the school back in session yet at UMBC or where are you guys at? So we're not back in session. The guys are getting back um, in about 10 days now. And the vast majority of the uh, classes on campus are remote. So uh, the guys are mostly going to be going to school online and our guys um they're all uh due back by the 24th of august and then they'll go through a period of testing they're they're going through a a period of self-quarantining right now and because of honestly the just the unbelievable work that our sports medicine staff has done we're going to have a chance to get back on the field um on uh, august 28th on september 11th we'll be back with the whole team that's our first scrimmage so I, I'm thrilled, man. Like, I can't tell you, you know, with that being in Dan, we could do it in fall. Like, I'm at a point where yeah, I, I just want to see our guys on the field so bad. I'd, I'd coach in a spacesuit if they wanted me to. Like, you know, at this point, you know, this is all like, this is, it, it, it's all um, kind of above and beyond, you know, expectations. So we're really grateful for it. Yeah. Well, if you're in a spacesuit at UMBC's field with those that like 30 mile per hour jet stream that rolls over the hills, it just like carry you into the forest. <laughs> I mean, like a, I don't know. I'm I'm uh, I'm not in playing shape, man. I might be weighing the spacesuit uh, down pretty decent, but the uh, uh, it, whatever it takes is my point. Obviously, like, yeah, like we're just for sure. You know, a lot of people have worked their tail off to get us back on the field. You know, we feel pretty pretty fortunate. So, what's your? I mean, have you guys talked through like contingencies and? What happens if one guy gets it and another guy? I mean, have you kind of gone down that rabbit hole or is it kind of wait and see still? There are definitely plans for it. Um, it's 
the plan itself allows for some positive tests and there are there are measures that are taken if somebody does test positive obviously that's something we want to avoid you know for our, our players health for the staff's health um and it would it potentially interrupt what we're doing but it's not a situation where if one person tests positive the fall is done you know yeah. it's i think if we if we have a full-blown outbreak obviously that would be a different story and we're going to work really hard to avoid that but um, it, one positive test, it, you know, we, we would still be able to care for that person and, you know, hopefully continue in some fashion after that. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it's gotta be a complex and like you said, a lot of emotions, like excited to get back, but I'm sure there's just a big underlying anxiety. Like, man, I just hope this goes all right, where it just doesn't become a, like the major league season. I mean, what's your take so far on the major league season? Well, it's, it's great being able to see the best in the world play again. I mean, I think just as a fan, you know, mm -hmm. selfishly, that's really good. Um, I think it's it's a good lesson for our players. You know, I kind of think of it through the uh, prism of our team. I probably stopped. I've actually – I think we talked about this last time I was I was on with you guys. Like, I kind of stopped being a, a fan of the major leagues a long time ago. Um, although, like, I still love watching them play, and obviously they're they're great at it. Um, I'm looking at kind of what's happened with just a, a few guys um, getting some negative publicity for not complying with the, the COVID regulations and how it's putting their team and, and really the whole league and all those guys' livelihoods at risk. And I think about that as, you know, kind of a, a lesson for our guys uh, that, you know, we didn't, we didn't ask for this. Like none of our guys, you know, did anything to bring the, the whole COVID situation upon all of us, but, you know, we got to play the hand that we're dealt. So, yeah. you know, it, it's going to it, it's going to take some some positive choices to make this work. And, you know, I think that's being reinforced as you kind of look at what's happening in the MLB. Are you guys have do you have measures and like are the kids not allowed to go out to dinner? I mean, as what are the restrictions on the players on campus? Or are, are there any, I guess, as far as the athletic department's concerned? There are uh, there are. And it, it, it's essentially you know, what we should all be doing um, is, is kind of the way I put it to the guys. Like what we're trying to do is we're trying to minimize close contact, you know, kind of sharing airspace with people who are outside of our circle, who are outside of the program. So guys aren't going to be able to, you know, go and see a, a buddy of theirs at a, another school three hours away, you know, one weekend and come back to campus. Um, you know, that's not going to be a possibility. You're not going to be able to uh, have a bunch of people from a bunch of different athletic teams over to your house, you know, the like, like may have happened in previous years, you know, it, it, and, it, and it's just, it's one of those things. The, it's not um, easy. It's not necessarily fair if you want to think about it that way. But to me, you know, I hear from, from players all the time, like I do anything for my, for my teammates and I love to play baseball. And, you know, this is in my mind, a great chance to show that by complying with some of these things, I feel for the guys, I really do because college should have some, some of those social things as a part of it. But, you know, like I said, that's the hand we're dealt. So we're going to play it the best we can. Yeah, man, this is crazy. It is. It's just hard to wrap your head around how different everything is right now and when it'll actually be better. It's like when, you know, it's like a bell, like a bell, we all get to ring where it's like, you can do normal life stuff again. Like, Hey, I don't know. It's so it seems never, very far away. But then I guess it'll probably just be there. Like one day you'd be like, "Oh yeah, stuff's normal again." Huh. When did that happen? Right? I don't know. 
Fortunately, I did not come on the morning brush back to, to reveal that information. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't have any of the answers. I'm just, um, you know, kind of a, a humble baseball coach who's fortunate that we have some smarter people than me working on some of these like plans and contingencies and the things that keep us safe. Well, what you did come here for is we're going to talk a little bit about command today because we've been chatting about that um, behind the scenes a little bit. So, Liam. This is like the enigma that no one can figure out. What do you feel like? Where does command come from? It, yeah, that could be a long answer. So I'm I'm gonna try and um you know whittle it down. We'll, we'll zig and a zag. little bit. Yeah, do sure, it. sure. So, and I've thought a lot about this, and I, and 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 the I don't want to come on your show acting like you know, hey, I'm this oracle that has. No, we wouldn't hear your. We wouldn't hear your opinion of command because yeah. everyone has an opinion. Yeah. We wouldn't hear yours. What? Well, hold on. If I may interject, if you want to be the number one watch show, you need to be much <laughs> more controversial. Like you need to speak in absolutes, and everybody else is stupid. And I would, and I would yeah. appreciate if you spoke like that right now. Yeah, block <laughs> block me on Twitter afterwards. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 guys. There's there's a reason you're not going to be able to find me uh, on Twitter. That's not really um, that's not really my lane. But uh, you know, the reason I say that I you know I don't have it all figured out is like what I was our pitching coach for eight years, um, and I was became our head coach a little more than uh, a year ago. But I still work with the pitchers, and we had a lot of years where we were you know tops in the conference for fewest walks and fewest you know wild pitches and that sort of thing. And then recently, this particularly this past year, we weren't as good in that area. So I've kind of spent the summer really thinking hard about this and trying to get us back to where we were and then maybe improve on that. But but where does command come from? You know, I think the the first thing is th- there's a, a, a requisite amount of athleticism that needs to be, you know, a part of the the um, the kind of the situation for any pitcher if he's going to co- um, command the baseball. And when I say athleticism that doesn't mean being explosive. That's two different things. So something that leads a guy to have like a great vertical leap or be great in the weight room or what have you, that's not necessarily the athleticism I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ability to connect different movements in the delivery and then repeat those movements pitch after pitch. I think that because athleticism takes different forms. I think that form of athleticism is super important. And one of the reasons it's important is because mechanically there are certain positions that you that are more productive in terms of throwing the ball where you want. So like as an example, like if, if a guy doesn't like load up and kind of maintain that load on his back leg, as he moves forward, it's really hard to get his back leg and center of gravity aligned with the target. And if you don't do that, it's not that you can never throw a strike. It's, it's just going to be harder pitch to pitch. So the guys that can do it easier, you know, they have the athleticism to move their body in more productive ways. Um, and then I think a, another element just to, to uh, you know, rip off a couple more that I think are, are really important is timing. Um, I think if you're repeating the timing in your delivery, I think you have a much better chance of um, being consistent. And I think when we talk about repeating a delivery, what we're really talking about is timing. And then, the, and then the last one I would say is intention. You know, I think, I think, you know, and I see this more and more, it, you know, it's just gotta be important to you to throw strikes and be competitive in the strike zone. You know, I think we, we, we have a, a lot of young pitchers now that have gotten a lot of affirmation for th- doing things on the mound that don't have anything to do with command that I'm not necessarily against. Like I didn't come on here to do the whole velo versus command debate. It's, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like it, it's you the just, worst. It's 
the worst yeah, you, conversation. You, the all time worst. You, you, you want both. Like I want our guys to throw hard. Like I'm not coaching our guys to throw soft. That would be really silly, mm-hmm. but um, you still have to have an intention to compete in the zone and, and to, to make the, the way I talk about it is you got to make the scoreboard, the scoreboard, like the radar gun can't be the scoreboard. You know, the scoreboard has to be the scoreboard. And if you got to be really locked gavel. in to winning point. and losing. Yeah. Well, let's touch on the first thing. So, so with the athleticism, but what is like, because I wholeheartedly agree that there's a connection. Like, for example, there are a lot of, everyone has like teammates and people they knew, like people you've coached, whatever, who you're like, that dude can just like fly or just jump or like whatever. And there is definitely a version of athleticism, which I'm not one of those super athletic people who can like play pickup basketball and like do cool stuff. My version of athleticism is that I like can control my body, my body pretty well. Like I can go to a golf range and like, I can make adjustments, even though I don't have any, I've literally never been taught one thing about hitting a golf ball. I can like kind of feel my way around hitting it kind of better. And I feel like that's kind of what you mean. But then the question is, what is that? Because I I agree with you that that's like a type of athleticism, but what is it? Like, and if you don't have it, how can you get it? Is it just innate? Like, how do you get to control your body better and repeat better? So it's a really good question. I'm not fully equipped to answer it. You know, there are sports scientists out there who who can give you probably a more in-depth and um, almost like medical answer than me, but it, you know, it's, it's a, it's certainly like a kinesthetic awareness and proprioception. Like, like it's just understanding how your body's moving in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's obviously a big, big part of it. And this is, this is one thing I will say that might be a little bit controversial. I, I, I honestly do believe it's innate. Like I think, the ability to command the ball is the expression of a natural ability rather than something that you can create in somebody the same way. You can't make a slow person fast. I know this as a slow person. I know mm-hmm. I'm that was never fast, never going to be fast. Um, you, you can get guys out of their own way. If they, if they have the natural ability to, uh, you know, connect the delivery and command the baseball, but you can't necessarily grow it in somebody. And that's a little bit humbling as a coach, but I honestly think, that's the truth. And that's not to say guys can't get better. Guys can absolutely get better by doing it, like tapping into that ability more. But I don't think you can take a guy who's fundamentally stiff or has a, has a hard time understanding where his body is in space and pump that into him. I, I honestly don't think that's the case. Well, then, okay. And I would tend to agree. Bobby, where do you fall on that issue? So I kind of, so we're talking about like college and above level pitchers right now. Like how do they get command? Is it any, more any of a level. Well, like I have it. I, I think it's different for youth because some younger kids just don't understand like what the hell, what they're doing period. But I think once you get to like high school, is it more of a philosophy? Like kids are always taught like, Oh, the corners are, are where you want to pitch. The corners are where you want to pitch. And then you even go, you watch like, Tyler chat with someone that comes to mind in the big leagues. Who's got a, a walk problem. Like he walks a lot of guys and he has trouble commanding his fastball. Like, does he have trouble commanding his fastball? Like he doesn't know where it's going or is he trying to be too perfect? And it's more of like a philosophy thing where you should let that ball work. Well, I yes, want to cover, I want to cover that. That's a very valid point, but I want to get to that in a minute. Cause I want to okay. stay on, I want to stay on this issue, but that's good job. That's a good point. I'm, look, good, I'm nothing. Good. Not full valid points but because there's definitely a, stra- a strategy thing i mean we know this and we, we've all had teammates or guys we coach that they're afraid to be in the white of the zone like they mentally don't want to be there and maybe the catcher sets up over there or the coach calls pitches too far to the corners and their their grouping is just 
too far off the plate. Like too many of their misses are just, you know, by their random sampling of misses are going to be balls. But I mean, like Liam, I guess the question is, Liam, how, how far along can you bring a guy then who doesn't have natural command? Like, yeah, Greg Maddox is Greg Maddox, right? Like he's just got an awareness of his body that he can just do things you can't. But at the same time, can you get a guy to the big leagues if he has X amount of like, what's enough where you can then train it a little bit better and, and optimize strategy wise and do all that stuff. Well, like where can it be acceptable? I guess, is there a line you think? Well, it's different. I mean, this, I, I hope this doesn't sound like a cop out, but it's super different for different guys. Like I would be personally, and, and we've started to do this in recruiting. And like I said, this is this is my current you know belief on it. If you catch me in five years, you maybe experience will have changed me. I'm always open to to changing my mind. But right now, for me, the the guy that you want to maybe take a chance on in recruiting, who's not a great strike thrower right now, which is maybe what you're talking about, mm-hmm. to me is a guy who his delivery is maybe putting him out of alignment with the target, or he's doing something delivery wise that the best command guys don't necessarily do but he's clearly a really good athlete and a really free mover, like a guy who doesn't have a lot of movement restrictions. Mm -hmm. Um, If you find that guy and you say, hey, we'll we'll put him in some constrained drills, we'll get him to understand kind of how his delivery works a little bit better, we'll get him to move a little bit differently to emphasize some different things, that guy's got a chance to tick up in command, more so than a guy who the delivery's sound, but maybe the body's a little bit rigid and and he, you know, for whatever reason, he's just not able to continuously repeat what he's doing. It's kind of the same thing. Like you hear basketball coaches say this. I've, I've actually talked to our basketball coaches about that. The scariest thing is the guy with like pretty jump shot form, but the ball doesn't go in, you know, because it's, you kind of feel like he just doesn't have that, yeah, that feel of the, that's a good point. Um, you know, the, those small adjustments you need to make. The guy maybe like he's kind of got the chicken wing elbow or something going on where you feel like you can fix it. That's the guy you feel like, oh, well, we can get him to make a 15 footer, mm-hmm. but the guy who's got a, you know, Ray Allen's jump shot, but the ball doesn't go in the basket. That's a problem. Huh? That's a good point. Bob, what do you, what do you think about that? That's an interesting analogy, like a, like a pure shooter to a pure strike thrower. Like there's plenty of guys that look great in the mound that just cannot find it. Yeah. Like they throw hard and they're, <clears throat> excuse me. I played with a kid actually in the Cape Cod league. I remember vividly cause he got drafted in like the fifth round lefty that was upper nineties, but we could never have a pitch because he could not throw strikes. Like he hit somebody in the head. He threw behind guys and then he'd come out and one, two, three, strike somebody out. And then he'd go right back to five balls just off the backstop. He just had absolutely no idea where the ball was going, but you watch him and it's like, he's tall, he's fluid. The ball just jumps out of his hand. And similar to like the great guy with the great looking jump shot, like he might go on a tear and hit five in a row. And then all of a sudden he's hitting them off the backboard and you're wondering what is going on. It's like, he doesn't have, is it like a sixth sense, a sixth tool that you can't teach? Like it's, it's really is a, a something that might not be teachable. Like they just kids kind of have, or guys kind of have an innate, uh, like a presence for throwing strikes or hitting their spots or commanding a ball to where they want it to go. Even if they're a little jacked up and maybe how they move. Sure. No, I know. I, I think a lot of that's right. I, I think it can definitely be taught and made better. But once again, it's like accessing a natural ability, which when, when I started to think about it that way, it started to make more sense to me, you know, where, where you're talking about trying to get guys to tap into something that they can already do rather than, um, 
you know, trying to create something in a guy that, that doesn't necessarily have it. And to me, one of the things I look for is guys who have big misses, kind of like you're talking about, like the guys who, you know, one pitch is a dot and the next one is like over the umpire's head. That's a guy who's, who's probably, you know, that, that feel and like proprioception for where his hand is at his release point is probably not great. Right. You know, because I think if a guy's got, a chance to really command the ball, even if he's in a bad place from a delivery standpoint or a bad place from a strategy standpoint, not and is kind of in his own way in some in some areas. He still he can still sort of keep it competitive around the mid. Um, right. Once the basketball analogy, like a, a good shooter doesn't doesn't zip it off the backboard. Like it's just not a thing that you you generally yeah. see. Yeah, so, ever like ever um, usually like if you're a good shooter, you're not missing even on your worst day. You're not clanking them off the top of the backboard shooting air balls yeah well even right. like uh, even good starters in the bit like there's plenty of good starters that have bad games but it's not necessarily that they're they just walk eight guys in the first inning and they gotta get pulled like they might just leave it a little bit over the middle of the plate like they're not so erratic that it's ugly yeah and, and actually one thing guys like i said i've kind of been on a deep dive with this because i was frustrated with you know our our inability to command it you know, the way we had in previous years this year. And, 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 you know, it's my job to take ownership of that. I lead the team. I lead the pitchers. We weren't good enough. So I like, again, I've been thinking, re- you know, long and hard about this stuff. I actually, I had a little extra time on my hands. I think we all have obviously. So mm-hmm. um, I actually went back and I, I looked up, um, I forget the number off the top of my head, but the best 50 or so pitchers in 2019 in the big leagues that went to college, um, not guys who were high school drafts or international signings, but, but college guys. And I did it. I just ranked them by, I think, war, and, and it was pretty easy to come up with a list of guys, you know, incredible big league uh, starting pitchers. And I um, I went back and I looked up their college walk rate their last year in college to see what it was. And what I would tell you is it's a lot lower than you think. Like, there's there's really not a lot of stories of guys who are like four walks per nine. I mean, big league starters after their college career. Um, I think the median was like 2.3, if I have that right. And out of That's over 50 good. guys, like there was only, uh, like there, there was, you could count on one hand the guys who were over four per nine, you know, you know in terms of a walk rate there last year in college. And it, it, that's where I kind of started to, to get thinking, like, wait a second, this is something that, you know, it's something inside these guys that's a little bit different. You know, that, that guy who's getting talked about in the first round who's seven walks per nine, but he's electric, that guy basically almost never turns into a productive big league arm. Um, you know, yeah. that's what the history is as, as far as I could tell. And I'm, you know, that's interesting. Kind of a little side project. That's for me. good research. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, you, you wonder how many of these guys who are throwing a pitch rubbernecking to look at the velocity and you wonder how much that stunts their development of that skill. Like if you're walking five per nine in college, like, like you said, maybe it never gets better by, by that point. And then the question is, well, when does it have to be better? Does it have to be better in high school? Like, do guys who go on to play D1 baseball, do they have terrible walk rates in high school and then it doesn't really get that much better in college either? Like, where does it – it's always going to get a little better, but then as it gets better, the funnel gets narrower, right, and the strike zone gets smaller. So, Well, it's yeah. kind of like gambling too, right? Like, you, if he's got a bad walk rate, how electric is the stuff? How good is what he's throwing to hope that maybe he figures it out, even though this, this percentage is safe just from your amateur – research essentially that maybe it doesn't but if it's is he worth taking a a flyer on because if he does figure it out then it's going to be so much better than everybody else 
I mean, it's, it's tough. I would, I, it's gotta be similar to, to scouting high school guys where you're, do you take a gamble on a guy with a huge upside, even though he's probably not showing a lot of command in high school baseball? Yeah, he would have to kind of fit the parameters I've talked about when it comes to athleticism and maybe, you know, being able to put him in a better position to command the ball better. Um, I will say one thing that I've come to believe coaching pitchers for the last 15 years is we recruit and draft pitchers like command is easy to improve, but stuff is impossible to improve. And I actually think they're both about the same, like particularly at this point in 2020 with the ability we have to make guys stuff better. You know, I think there've been a ton of advancements in that area since I started coaching. Um, I could have used them myself back when I was playing Lord knows, but uh, you know, in, in modern times, you know, we really have about an equal number of, you know, assets when it comes to improving guys in those areas. But I think our, our thinking about, you know, who should get opportunities at the next level is, is still stuck in the idea that, well, you know, we'll teach them how to pitch, but, you know, that stuff is something you can't teach. And I, I don't just fundamentally don't think that's true. I think both are, are teachable and both are limited in some ways. Yeah. It's almost easier to teach stuff now no in in some aspects yeah i would say in some aspects and i would also say like if if you're talking about a guy you know being productive for your team early on because remember you know i'm a i'm a college coach like we don't have a ball like you know a guy can't just go walk the yard in a ball and figure it out down there like he's he's got to pitch our midweek games and we we want to win those we need to win those yeah um so who's going to be productive for you you know a guy who can blast the zone with a couple decent pitches and you wait for him to maybe fill out and get some strength and figure out how to utilize this stuff and throw a little harder and spin it a little better whatever it is or a guy who you know is that guy you were talking about in the cape who you're kind of watching through your fingers to see if he's going to embarrass somebody or you know hit the backstop so hurts but yeah yeah. And, and, and I, I just, I, I think we still fundamentally undervalue, you know, and you see it in the big leagues now, like the, it seems like the Indians have a pitching staff full of these guys that were, you know, kind of pitch ability, you know, college righties that were really good and their stuff took a step forward as they got into to pro ball and now they're devastating. Um, and I think that's more a model you're going to see more and more as we go forward. Yeah, well, you see a guy like, uh, and I haven't watched that much of Shane Bieber, but I was watching some of his like ten punch outs and was like first star of the year. And I have not watched much much baseball in this nonsensical year, but he just looked completely in control, just like bop 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 bop, just like didn't matter. And that like you can't take someone who doesn't have that and give them that, and which which is like fine. Like, and I don't know if it be how what his command rates are, what his numbers are. I haven't looked him up, but he's seemed in impeccable control of him, just himself. And like, it seemed really easy just watching him to just like peppered in the zone. Like before he even threw the ball, you're like, Oh, that's going where he wants it to go. You know what I mean? But, um, but yeah. So like one of my friends, Darren Seiler, he's coach at John Carroll high school in, uh, in Maryland. He's very, yeah, uh, he's very I, heavy I into the Franz Bosch and the, um, skill acquisition, which God, I hate hearing that term. It just makes me want to punch myself in the face. Um, people put that in their Twitter, Twitter bio. It's like, I believe in skill acquisition. It's like, yeah, I believe in skill acquisition. Like I learned to wipe my own butt when I was four, like acquiring skills is awesome. It's great, but it is a pretty important important skill. skill, but 
they talk about attractors, right? And attractors is essentially just, I tried to get out of Darren. I'm like, Darren, what is an attractor? Darren, is this just a fancy way of saying repeating your delivery? He's like, well, the elbow retractor and, and this retractor. I'm like, just use real words. And we were kind of like saying the same thing overall, but some of the stuff that they're doing, like Franz Bosch and these others, is interesting. Right? They're trying to like basically have you complete tasks in unstable situations and do more things to build that like fine proprioception, all that stuff. Do you buy into that? Do you find that there's merit there? I mean, are you having guys pirouetting with a water bottle and then throwing a pitch? I mean, is there something there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely something there w w without question. I think that if you're trying to build facility in throwing and making adjustments, you can't have them only complete one test. You can't have them to stand on the mound 60 feet away and try and beat the mid up. Like, I think what we're talking about when we're talking about command is, Hey, I let that pitch leak six inches arm side. The next pitch, I want to hold my line a little bit better. You can't do that. If you haven't you know, overcome some, some different challenges as a thrower. So I definitely think, that's the case, you know, just having that facility to make adjustments. I don't think it needs to be um, crazy elaborate, frankly. Like I think putting guys into some constraint drills and, and then to basically vary the target, you know, I think honestly like standard long toss done really properly with a ton of intention and focus is really good for that. You know, if I've got, you know, uh, my buddy at 65 feet and then he moves back to 70 and I still want to hit him, uh, you know, on maybe on, uh, you know, the glove side hip, then I've got to change the way I'm going to shape my throw into his mitt. Yeah, the guys who just, if they just throw, yeah, yeah. If they just throw it back and forth, they're not going to get that. And that's why I like that deliberate practice and that focus is super important. So I definitely buy the concept. I wouldn't say we implement it in a, um, you know, particularly uh, fancy way. You know, I, I think we, we do a lot of constraint drills to try and get guys to move more productively. And then I, I think just bringing a, a, a next level type of focus to their work is what gets you there. Yeah, I, I see those drills and obviously many of them are silly looking. Like guys are literally doing like a pirouette spin and then throwing and they're like jumping up on a thing and then throwing and then jumping off a thing and throwing. And it's like, and, and to your point, you wonder how much of that if you get enough of that just from doing normal looking things like playing sandlot baseball, like throwing a ball from shortstop on the run, like growing up as a young baseball player, like you said, long tossing, long tossing is a magical thing. When you think about it, like you're progressively getting back to the point where you can hit someone at the chest, someone at the chest from 320 feet. Like think of how precise you have to be to throw a ball 300 feet and hit your partner where he's just like this. It's pretty remarkable. That's a really, I mean, you have, if you're off by two degrees at 300 feet, it's like 15 feet off course by the time it gets there. Right. And I, so I think there's something to be said for that too. Outfield arms. Like if you have an accurate outfielder, that dude's got some command of the baseball, right? Like that's all, those are long throws for, sure. for him to throw it in that, you know, six foot grouping or whatever. Or maybe it's is it almost, is it almost too late once they get to that level? Liam, you think uh, like college or even professionally, like I, I kind of equate it to the learning a language. Like if you start a young, like a kindergartner learning a second language, eventually by the time they get to second, third grade, like they probably have a good grasp of that second language. And 
and can probably speak it a lot better than maybe say myself, who's 33. If I try to pick up a second language right now, I think it would be incrementally more difficult just because I'm almost so set, like my brain is so set in the ways that it, it thinks about whatever, you know, in what language I'm thinking and trying to process, you know, speaking a different language. Whereas when they're younger, they, they pick up, there's so many things that they're just absorbing and learning and learning. So is it better to have, to have them do things like that when they're younger and is, and how hard do you think it is when you get guys that are, you know, 18 years old, almost mature adults, essentially to try and change them from what they're so used to. But that's kind of my point is that aren't, it's, aren't it, they all getting that when they're young? Like they're playing baseball, right? Before you're a pitcher only, you're playing well, every, really. every pitch and on every, every position on the field and you're throwing not, not really though. Right. Like uh-huh. I know they should be, the answer is they should be right. Like they should be doing, and they should be on the playground, like doing the monkey bars and stuff like that. But now kids are doing like, they're getting pitching lessons, you know, the missing deep breath. Link. Yeah. Come set. Well, it's not, it really is. It's, it's not necessarily a missing link, but it's everything is so privatized and specialized. It's very sterile. Lose, yeah. Yeah. You lose all of the creativity that you get when you just go and play. And it, it's hard to ingrain that back into an adult, even if they understand what you're trying to get them to do. It's like they think about it and they process it in what they've been taught the last 12 years. I, th- I think there's a lot there, um, definitely a lot there that I agree with. Um, I think building, I think teaching guys super specialized mechanics at a young age is the opposite of building facility as a thrower. So I'm not a fan of like pitching lessons for for ten year olds or or anything like that. I'm a fan of those guys trying to be the touch football quarterback, trying to throw one hand passes in basketball, trying to throw wiffle balls, like like just just right. throw different stuff, throw, like rocks at cars, different challenges. And I, yeah, I don't. I don't know how you grew up, Dan. We we we. Um, you know, I was a good kid uh, too, but to the, I wish. The soft I wish. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Snowballs. But, but I, yeah, I, I, just, I just think um, building that facility as a thrower is at, at a young age is super important. Building competitiveness in that age is super important. Building a comfort of, in situations where you know winning is in doubt and everybody's trying as hard as they can. I mean, not everybody's comfortable in that situation. So I think you got to build it as a young guy. And then when it, you know, I, I don't want to be too pessimistic guys on improving command, particularly like with co- high school and college and even pro players, uh, because although I do think it's a natural ability that you, you kind of develop as a, um, a young person, the, you're still able to really um, improve it with these guys because a lot of these guys have not been incentivized to really develop it. So if, you have a training program for 14 and 15 year olds and, you know, they're on the gun all, all the time. And, you know, they're, they're getting a lot of affirmation for throwing hard. They're probably a little bit underdeveloped when it comes to creating timing in their delivery, creating alignment, um, you know, getting a rhythm uh, signature for every single throw. And you can give them those things, you know, because you can say, Hey, you know, we're going to keep developing you to produce more force, but we're also going to do it in like a rhythmic and repeatable way. That's going to, you know, allow you to apply it to winning and losing in, in, in a way that that helps our team. So, you know, because it's so undertaught, I think you can still really improve it. It's just you can't take a guy who can't control his body and get him to control his body. There's not a drill for that. Yeah. Well, do you feel, and I, I, I wish I, I had one, but we don't. I felt like while Bobby was talking that it kind of sounds almost like the immune system. Like when you're young, exposing them to lots of different stuff is going to serve them to be better and more, adap- and more adaptive when they're older like they can 
Like, for example, how many times as a young player do you throw off, like, the worst mound you've ever been on? Like, every time is, like, the new worst mound, right? And your mechanics are different, and you have to adjust and, like, figure out how to throw strikes, right? Um, today, kids also have, like, a perfect crappy turf mound on these fields, right? And you, you wonder how much of that helps or hurts them. It's almost like paving the road for them. Like, maybe those yeah. terrible, terrible mounds that we had to pitch with actually made us, made us better strike throwers back in the day. They, you, they, it's adjustability, right? Like, you yeah. just, at early age, you learn how to move, you learn how to move your body, otherwise you're going to fail. And, and you're, more, you're more receptive to, I guess, adjusting and changing. It's also a matter of incentives, guys. Like, yeah, you know, I, I think... Let's talk about that. Yeah, for, for, for me... When I was a young pitcher, I wanted to pitch. I loved to pitch. I just wanted to be out there. I wanted to be the guy who got the ball as many times as possible. And to do that, I had to blast the strike zone with multiple pitches. I wasn't a super hard thrower. Um, I, ne I, I never was a, a very – I gained velocity, but never was like a hard thrower for my level. And I had to just beat it up with multiple speeds. And it, if I did that and, and, I, and I accomplished that goal – Usually that led to success at the levels I was playing at, you know, high school and college. If you can change speeds in the strike zone, usually you're, you're pretty effective. You have decent secondary. And I was able to get more opportunities that way. So I, I was getting what I wanted by, by doing those things. Now most guys are pitching in an environment where, you know, a lot of times other than their high school team, their innings are assured because they, they have to throw a certain number of innings on each of these teams. And the affirmation comes from something other than changing speeds in the strike zone, which to me is like the fundamental skill of pitching. Unless you've got outlier carry, turbo sync, you know, some sort of invisible fastball, which only a few people have, then you need to change speeds in the strike zone. Otherwise, you, you, you're just going to get hit a lot. You're going to pitch underneath your whatever your velocity number is. You know, it's not going to play that way. I mean, Bobby, I'd like, I'd, I'll ask you, you were. You know, you were a, a pro hitter. Like, if a guy's going to throw you a vanilla 95 and you can load up for it, like, like at a certain point, if you if you have enough natural bat speed and ability to turn the bat fast enough, it's not crazy difficult. It's um, not. It's not. And, and you're I think, right. I think uh, – yeah, I, I, and I think we just see that a lot. We see a lot of guys where it's like, oh, geez, like the um, – you know, this, this guy throws 96 and he, he can't miss a barrel. It's like, well, if you're, if you're not getting guys to respect, you know, another pitch in the strike zone, then yeah. Like that's how this, that's how the sport works. I think Yeah, it's comparable to a lot of things too. Like the first time you drive on the highway, if you've never gone 70, 75 miles an hour in a car, like you're pretty nervous and then you do it a dozen times and all of a sudden it's, it's like, it's just natural. Same yeah, thing with hitting. Back to, yeah, yeah. Get back to texting while driving, you know, it's like, this Absolutely. Is good. texting, okay. yeah. Car karaoke, do whatever you need to do in the car. But the same thing with the same thing. Like you said, if you see 90, 90 to 95, you know, consistently and it's straight, you're going to either, especially at that level, at the, at the high college and professional level, you're either going to barrel it, and continue to be successful or you're going to be out you're going to be done like done playing essentially because that's you need to be able to do that and most guys at that level have the bat speed to do that it's when you throw a wrinkle in like okay the ball now the ball is 92 but it moves six inches or it's 98 and you don't see that as often so now it's something to adjust for it's i mean it it's definitely if you know what's coming similar to like the astros like you know when you know what's coming you and you can plan for it. It's a lot easier than when you're playing a little bit of a guessing game. 
Well, Liam, along that those lines of needing to throw strikes, do you feel like guys who have exceptional velocity when they're young essentially are de-incentivized to ever learn command? Like if you're Hunter Green, for example, who I think is doing well in the minor leagues, right? Isn't he maybe up with the Reds now? But that dude threw 100 when he was in high school. Who needs to who needs to command the zone? You just got to throw it over the middle of the plate when you throw that hard, right? And of course, you only have to throw a hundred in high school to be. You throw eighty eight, you can do a lot of stuff without having to be actually yeah. good at pitching. Do you feel like that de incentivizes you? Like you miss a critical window where you would otherwise have to like bear down and learn to to pitch. I, th- I think there could be something to that. I also think sometimes. It- it's harder for those guys in a way because they get so little contact. Like they get so little, like so few quick outs. Um, and, and a lot of times hitters are sort of in take mode, you know, like the bottom mm-hmm. end of a high school order against a guy throwing 91 is not usually swinging super aggressively Yeah, that they don't have maybe some of the same leeway that other guys have. So, you know, that's, um, you know, that, that maybe goes back to kind of the strategy point that you were talking about earlier, that there's like a strategic element to command as well. And that I think sometimes you can have a guy whose walk numbers are a little inflated if he's got really high velo for his level, but he actually does have the ability to command the ball. He just never gets like an OO ground out on a ball that's like a ball below the strike zone because it's a take every single time. Yeah. And whereas a guy throwing, you know, 85, you know, a guy might chase it just uh, knock it into the ground and save him some pitches. I do think there's something going on there. Um, but at the same time, I think like what you said, you know, what you say is, is right. Like if it's not, if it's not emphasized. If, 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 the, if the, at the end of the day, if the player doesn't have the intention to do it, it's going to be tough for him to learn it. You know, that's, yeah. that's about as simple as it gets. Well, and there's also no good reason. Like if I threw 92 in high school, there would never be a reason that I had to throw it on the corner of the plate. Like there's just never a situation where I have to bear down and throw it there. Cause I feel like I'm going to get hurt. Like, that's just not like, not a thing when you throw that hard. Like outer half, maybe, right? Like, I don't know. But do you remember Tim Lincecum when he came up? They were talking about his walk rate, like they were nervous about it, and people said no. His walk rate, which was kind of high for college, I, I don't know if it was like five per nine innings. It was like a little. I don't know what's average for is. What do you think's average for D one baseball three per nine, Liam? Where, where do you? Uh, in in our league, it's it's four and a half, and I think. Um, that, that makes sense. Uh, it's three in the big leagues, it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, maybe closer to five nationally. It's actually increased the last wow. few years, which I think is a function of some of the, you know, the changes in the game and the, you know, how players come to our level. Um, wow. That we, we've kind of been alluding to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, well, honestly, baseball's hard. Like, like I'm not trying to sit here and tell you this, like, this stuff is easy, man. Like, you know, I, I, the, the, the guys in the stands saying just throw strikes, like, they don't have any idea how hard it is. Um, and, and, and it's, it's like any, you know, we're a division one school. We're looking for people who are outliers. Like we're looking for people who have, have like an outlier amount of body control. You know, most people, even fairly explosive athletes can't control their body the way we need them to. So that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's what makes it an elite unit, right? Like yeah. you, 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 you can't take everybody. You know, that's, that's kind of what it works. So just to jump back into Lincecum, he, over the course of his career, he was a 3.6 walk per nine and 9.3 strikeout per nine do you know what he was in college can you pull up his college numbers because basically the sentiment with with lincecum was that he was walking a lot of guys in college because his delivery was so unorthodox and he was throwing like 97 and they're like look 
these dudes just like have no idea what to do and they're just taking and taking and taking and in pro ball guys are going to swing a lot more they're going to put the ball in play they're going to be better at putting him in play whereas there's just guys in college that had no shot of actually hitting linscombe's curveball or 96 coming out of their you know his back pocket but in pro yeah. ball guys can actually put the ball in play so his strikeout rates they assume would come down and guys would just put the ball in play and so now it's not three two every time he pitches to every hitter so what, what was his college walk rate do you know uh, I'm looking for right now. It was, yeah. So in 04, it was 6.57. In 05, it was yeah. 6.12. In 06, the year he got drafted, it was 4.52. But then when he, as soon, like, as soon as he got into the minor leagues, it was 3.9, 3.19. And then his first year in the big leagues was four. So it definitely dropped dramatically. Um, but you're also talking about a get yeah, the guy that struck out 14 guys a game, 14 per nine, yeah. uh, 15 per nine in his in his A ball season. I mean, he's just he's not used to the ball being put in play ever. It's walk strikeout, walk strikeout. Yeah, outlier stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's it, it can be harder at lower levels for those guys to express their command. But I think one thing you, you saw that was important was the drop in the walk rate in college. I mean, I think that that's got to get noticed. You know, he didn't he didn't leave college like six and a half. Um, and and he was a guy I remember, I'm, you know, uh, old enough to remember his, his heyday in the big leagues. Like he wasn't a precision instrument, you know, it wasn't like watching Shane Bieber pitch, but at the same time, he wasn't buck wild. Like it it, was, I don't remember a ton of big misses. And like you say, Dan, a guy like that with ridiculous stuff, who's around the plate, you know, he's going to be successful. It's like anything in our sports, a sliding scale. You know, if, if you have, outlier stuff and you get a ton of swings and misses you get a little bit more leeway on the command side you know if you throw you know a pretty you know middle of the road 92 and have kind of an average breaking ball then you got to keyhole it you know it's it's it, it's kind of different for different guys is he what you guys would consider the prototypical effectively wild pitcher from the in the big leagues like if there were if there was an effectively wild guy in the big leagues would tim Linscombe be that guy I know he's not wild, so but you still have to feel like at any point he could walk you on four straight or strike you out in three straight. Yeah, I, effectively wild's a funny term. I'm kind, I'm glad you brought it up, uh, Bobby. I think when guys are effectively wild, they're actually much less wild than 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 people think. Like I think there are there are a lot of people who are pitching who are trying to hang on to the effectively wild label when they're really just wild. You know, I, I think good point. Um, the, <laughs> you know, effectively wild to me means kind of just what you said, a guy who's got incredible swing and miss stuff that he can get away with, uh, you know, an extra walk or two per nine innings. Those guys absolutely exist. I think the two things, the bar for what level of stuff that is, is higher than people think. Like even at our level, you know, a guy will be 89, 92, and say, well, you know, he's a good velo guy. He's, he's maybe effectively wild. It's like, well, 89-92 isn't going to get enough swings and misses unless it comes with a, just a, you know, a best-in-the-league type of secondary pitch. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like that's just not fast enough. Uh, you know, 98-99 might be fast enough, but the, the right. bar is really much higher than people think. And then, and then the, the, the bar for wild is, is lower than people think. You know, like so – would you consider effectively wild maybe more of an attitude, like a guy who's got a little bit of an edge where if you piss him off, like a Nolan Ryan, he might just throw one at your back just because? 
Like he, yeah, he I, makes you because that's what I as a as a hitter, a guy that's effectively wild is someone that makes you a little bit uncomfortable in the box because he might actually just throw at you or he might miss and it will hit you just because he doesn't either command it or he's that big of a a jerk where he's just going to be like, well, I don't like this guy as much. Here's one up and in. Because that's as a hitter. That's how I perceive effectively wild, like a little bit of nervousness in that at bat. Sure. Well, well, you know, different pitchers have different intentions, right? Like, you know, the guys we're talking about, Ryan Lincecum, they're trying to get you out with stuff. All right. People think, I think sometimes when, when they watch those guys or think about them, they think they're all over the place. They're really not. But the, the their intention is to beat you with their stuff rather than beat you with like precision command. And right. because they're trying to beat you with their stuff and they're not necessarily as, you know, worried about, um, keeping it around the mitt, like as a hitter, you know, that's, that's gotta be a little bit more uncomfortable. Whereas, um, you know, maybe I, I'm thinking about some guys kind of in, there's fewer of them now, but maybe, um, back when, you know, I was playing there, you know, guys in the league, I'm thinking of like, you know, Jeff Supon, you know, um, uh, you know, Joe Blanton, like guys who are kind of that, that, that kind of, um, every day, like third, fourth, fifth starter who they're trying to beat you by moving the ball around the zone. It's probably a little bit more comfortable as a hitter but they can also maybe pitch to your weakness a little bit more so it, to me it's a little bit stylistic is you know kind of what we're talking about yeah we touched that we touched on just um essentially fear as a hitter and what role fear plays as being a hitter and how it plays a little bit more of a role obviously if the guy's throwing a lot harder and you see it in younger players especially like you face a kid who's throwing unusually hard for his age most of the kids on the bench are a little bit nervous, even if they're not saying it out loud. Some of them are almost, you know, some of them are noticeably nervous and they let you know it and they're probably in tears, <laughs> even when the pitch isn't coming anywhere near them. But they're, I mean, it, it happens in pro ball too. It is it, as probably good as a role as Chapman is, 105 is still 105. And if he feels like you disrespected him. It could be 105 up at your chin, and that's a little unnerving. Dude, Randy Johnson, how did anyone ever get in the box against that man? <laughs> Just Black terrifying. Jesus. Watching him pitch is unreal. Like, I watched a throwback game of him on YouTube like a couple months ago, and I was like, how did anyone do this? Like, how did anyone ever do this? It was, and he had good command. But essentially with two pitches, slider, fastball like he's what, not else, mixing what, else, in. what else could he throw right. and what else would he need to throw but he's not mixing in a, he's a starter so usually a starter's got a three pitch mix or four pitch mix i mean he's he's a basically closer type mentality for nine innings. well he threw fear fastballs and sliders those three things fear fastballs and <laughs> it's sliders. Three pitches. he yeah. had three he had three <laughs> pitches for sure <laughs> no the the i think that the thing that you can learn from guys like randy johnson or like really you know, for big parts of their career, guys like Kurt Schilling and, and Roger Clemens were really two-pitch guys. It was like fastball split, you know, like a once-in-a-while get-me-over curveball. Yeah. But there's there's more guys who are elite pitchers at the highest level with really just a couple pitches. But what's always the case with those guys is they're not beating themselves. You know, they're, they're guys that are that are blowing up the zone uh, for the most part. And the two pitches are lookalikes. You know, if if a guy has has upper echelon velocity and can throw a look at like secondary pitch that he can put in and out of the strike zone, that kind of checks all the boxes right there. Like, yeah, it's it, it's nice to, you know, maybe spice it up every once in a while, but there, it's 
there's really no answer for a hitter other than guessing right, if that's right. the case. I'll, I'll defer to you, Bobby, but like the guys who sure. have like true lookalike secondary, you know, that's those are the guys who, um, when they combine those pitches, it, it, it takes both of them to another level. And on, on our, you know, much, you know, we don't have, you know, peak Randy Johnson on our team. Nobody does. Uh, but w- we try and do that with our guys. You know, if you got a guy who's 88 and he can move it around the zone, if you give him something that goes 78 to 81 but looks like the 88, you know, whether it's a cutter, changeup, whatever, um, little slider, it could be a lot of things, like that right. guy's going to pitch above his stuff. You know, he's going to be that guy where maybe the the less initiated look at him and say, well, how's he getting so many people out? He's only 88. Well, you know, you can't. it's hard to be on time for 88 if it can be 78 whenever he wants. Yeah. yeah and really like difficult. you said, especially if it looks the same. Like it, I remember facing a guy, a closer who was fastball split um, with York in the Atlantic League, but he would, you could, he was tipping his split all the time. He'd tip his split and we all knew it. So we'd, we'd had that. And he wasn't very effective against us because you basically knew when you could spit on the splitter because he's not throwing it for a strike, but it's, it looks exactly like a fastball and it just dives right out of the zone. It's not a pitch he throws for a strike. He doesn't want to throw for a strike. He wants to, he wants to swing and miss. Mm. So when guys like that, that just are, they don't tip, they have no tell on their pitches and they're just, like you said, 88 and then 78 look exactly the same. It's, it's a, the most frustrating at bat because you should be able to hit 88 as a hitter. You're, you're in your mind. You're like, this is something I should tee off on. And he just, it's like Kyle Hendricks just got to be the most frustrating games when he cruises through six, seven innings with one hit and he's barely breaking a pane of glass. I'm really glad you mentioned him. And I thought you might, cause I know you're a Chicago guy, but I actually did something with our pitchers one year. I think it was, it was, I think 2018, where it was partway through the year, and I uh, I looked at the numbers, and I, you can you know it's all online now. You can break it down by zone, and fastballs in the dead center of the zone, so like the you know middle third, you know both up um, up and down and left and right. Fastballs in the dead center of the zone. Guys were hitting something like 260 off Kyle Hendricks, which you think that's like impossible because. He's, you know, it's a well below average fastball. doesn't have a lot of velocity. And I even showed the guys like a video of one of them. It was like a a two, one count. And a guy just like fouls off the fastball, um, you know, a little bit oppo side to the, to the backstop. And it's like, well, why is this happening? Like if, if, if one, if a guy from our level went out there and pitched against this guy at 88, he would take him out of the stadium. But Kyle Hendricks is getting away with this pitch. And the reason is obvious. It's the changeup. Like he has to respect the changeup. You can throw it in any count. And it's a lookalike pitch. You, so. you're, ba- you're basically guess you're you're banking on a pitch like you're look you're sitting change up the whole time and hopefully he doesn't throw you three straight fastballs and just sits you right down. It's a I mean it's a chess game. He's playing chess where he's not throwing, he's not relying on power, and those guys are tough to hit against, especially at that level when you're basically going up against ninety percent guys that have power stuff where they got there because they throw plus plus pitches and he's throwing average pitches that will go to all parts of the plate and it, at all speeds. And he's just frustrating. I, I can only imagine just being in the box and just coming back to the dugout angry after a, a ground out. Right. And, 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 but I think one thing that, that I think we can all be a little bit more diligent about is if to me, if you have a plus changeup that you throw in any count, none of your pitches are average. Because like if 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 I can throw you a plus changeup any count 
then my fastball is above average. Like you're not going to react to it like an average fastball. It doesn't really right. matter how fast it's going. It's an above average fastball. Like if I've got, um, if that, my change of fades arm side and I've got like a little cutter slider that can go the other way, but they look the same. Like it doesn't matter how you evaluate that pitch in isolation. That pitch will be above average. Mark Burley's cutter was way above average because oh, of change of what a you frustrating, know. what a frustrating guy that must have been. Because he's not yeah. even trying to throw it past you. He wants you to just hit it off the end and ground out in one pitch. And you do. And it's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah. You're, it's like I'm just I'm like I'm sitting here like ah like I'm I'm frustrated. I'm not even hitting right now. It's just a yeah. frustrating thing. Yeah, you know, I, I had a scout tell me one time, a scout that I respect and, and I think is a really smart baseball guy, tell me, you know. Cliff Lee doesn't have one plus pitch. This is when Cliff Lee was like, you know, you know, starting the year with like 50 Ks and three walks. Yeah, something absurd. And to me, that's not a condemnation of Cliff Lee. That's a condemnation of how we evaluate pitchers because we evaluate the pitches in a vacuum. That's not how the hitter perceives them. The hitter yeah. perceives them in relation to each other, you know, and right. – to me, all of Cliff Lee's pitches are functionally plus because the hitter has to respect all the other ones. And that's we just never get to that part of the conversation when we evaluate young pitchers. We always evaluate the pitches in isolation, and we don't. that's why we don't understand certain guys. We don't understand why certain guys are getting banged, and we don't understand why certain guys are super effective. Um, and it's because we just, you know, truthfully, we just don't know what we're looking at. You know, if, yeah. if, if and I'm then, real well, the room for error too. I mean, Dan, you could you you threw you, Dan, you were a hard thrower. I mean, the room for error when you throw mid to upper nineties is a lot different than the room for error when you throw upper eighties to low nineties. It's just you have you can be you can miss a little more because the reaction time for the hitter is a little bit less, and that's it, so. Now you're talking about guys like Kyle Hendricks and Cliff Lee who apparently don't have, according to some you know some observers any plus pitches but you you have almost less room for error as a hitter because it, everything looks exactly the same so you need to either recognize it or guess correctly perfectly or you're out and it's i almost rather face the guy who's trying to blow it past me because at least i know I, i'm gonna get something hard i gotta react quick and I, what i see is probably what i'm getting like i'm yeah. gonna recognize it a little bit earlier as a hitter anyways mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, we talk about it all the time with our guys. And, and the, the way I explain it to them, just try and keep it as, as simple and streamlined as possible, is either every pitch you, you throw either needs to be an absolute outlier or look like all your other pitches. You know, there's no profit being in between those things. So it either needs to be Clayton Kershaw's curveball, which everybody in the stadium knows it's going to climb up out of his hand, but it's just so different than any other curveball the, the hitter is facing on a day-to-day -day basis that it's still hard to hit. Or – you have to make the pitches look like each other because essentially what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to create margin for error because like we, we've been talking about commands really hard. You know, it's hard to be so precise over and over and over again. And the the way to create that margin of error is either to be blessed with that kind of dynamic stuff um, or have created that kind of dynamic stuff through a ton of work and accessing some natural ability there or by creating deception on your pitches and making them look like each other and being good enough at repeating your delivery that you can give the hitter the same look every time. And I think what you have to do as a coach and what a pitcher has to do with himself is guys got to look himself in the mirror and say, well, where do I have more ability? You know, do I have a really, do I have an honest chance to create outlier stuff? And 
I can just tell you personally, like, you know, I, I think we have a lot of tools to, to get guys to, to throw harder and have better stuff. 95 was never going to come out of me as a player. I don't care what you did. I just wasn't explosive enough. So if I want to keep playing, I want to keep helping my team, I got to maybe go the command route. You know, a guy who's maybe a little bit springier, he's got longer levers, he's got some, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more juice in the tank, he can look himself in the mirror and say, well, I have a chance to be an outlier. I got to kind of go down that road. And that's, you know, that's why coaching each guy is really individual. It's fun to watch guys like Kyle Hendricks pitch as someone who's not in the batter's box or if he's on my team because you just watch the frustration that he creates and it seems like he shouldn't be that good. But, no, he's he's better than good. He is an unbelievably good player and pitcher, and he's just using everything he has to make it so uncomfortable for you as a hitter that it's fun to watch. And it's, it's also fun to watch guys that throw hard. Now, I, the emphasis on throwing hard is more than emphasis on command because you're going to get more opportunities with – more, I guess, raw talent with stuff, quote unquote stuff than you would if you were a, a master craftsman with your, with your pitches and your pitch selection. But it's, I find it much more fun to watch a guy that can just pitch his pitch circles around hitters, as opposed to a guy who can maybe just throw a hundred and those guys get hit around if they can't command it or if they've got no secondary stuff. So it's fun to watch a guy like Burley or Hendricks just roll through a game, not to mention the speed at which they pitch, which is, also very nice as a position guy. Well, the problem is <laughs> for that, sure. And, and no, go ahead, uh, bud. Is that when you no, no, throw I th- hard? I, I think I'm on a delay. My bad. Yeah, there is a little bit of a delay. You know, the problem I think with a lot of younger players is they think that humping up, like they throw 90, 92, and they want to reach back and throw 93. It's not a meaningful difference, you know. And, no. and they're better off just like relaxing and throwing 91 on the on the black if they can, rather than reaching back for 93 that then goes over the middle of a plate and that's where it always ends up going when you try to overthrow and that's not a meaningful difference and then and it's the same thing with guys training for velocity like oh i want i'm on the road to 95 which is like the most tired thing it's like just such a tired thing but um you know it's like all right well how hard do you need to throw and if you can't jump an entire bracket of velocity then there's no point in spending your entire off season trying to go from 92 to 94 Going from 92 to 94 will not change you as a pitcher. It, like You'll get away with like another couple pitches per game, but you can't pitch differently. If you go from 92 to 97, sure, now you can pitch completely different. But guys don't make that jump once they're that old. Not, not really, like once in a while. Like Guys will go two miles per hour, and then they think they can pitch different, and now they're completely obsessed with how hard it goes, and now they're throwing junky 94 center cut instead of 92 that's well located because like Liam, you said, and this is what I want to get into is that that intention to throw strikes. Like I really want the ball to go where I need it to go. Do you, do you think you see more out of like velocity jump out of guys that are starters that can just jump in the bullpen and blow it out for an inning as opposed to a guy who's like works at trying to throw harder and trying to get to that bracket. Does that make sense? Like the guy who's 90, 92 as a starter, but who's never had the opportunity to just warm up and, and blow it out for 15 pitches as a as a relief guy who's might be 95, 96. What's your like, question? What, do you, th- do, you th- do you think you got a bet you have a better opportunity as a guy who's a starter who's got you know middle of the road velocity at the pro level to make that jump to the next bracket if he co- becomes a reliever or if oh. he or if he tries to be a 
or tries to do more arm, you know, arm care velocity stuff. I don't know, Liam. What do you think? I don't know if you have any uh, back I mean, backstory. I, I think you can definitely turn up the in, intent and the like the tempo when guys' deliveries, at, to, and and you you will get them to throw harder. Um, a lot of the time, I would say. Um, sometimes guys they they kind of get to a point where they're they're moving so fast they can't still move efficiently, and then you know they don't get the same kind of return on investment there. You can definitely turn them up and and have them throw a, a little bit harder. I would say in my coaching experience, more times than not. The question is, to me, how do we get the most outs? Like, it you know we we, we play three game series in Division One like everybody else, and if our game one starter throws ninety five pitches and gets eleven outs, that's a train wreck. Like that's that that has a, a domino effect for our entire yeah. team. That's yeah. really negative, you know and I would say, and I'm going to speak in generalities, and I know that command and velocity are not oppositional. I do not want to talk about them that way. But I would say, generally speaking, a delivery that's really high effort, it, it can be harder to regulate than a delivery that's that's much lower effort. I believe this. I think know? they are a little oppositional, um, personally. I don't mind getting into that yeah. fight. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I would like I, I think. I think it's a little bit more complicated than velo and command being oppositional. I think, I think, it, you know, you only have so much intention to spend, and if you spend all the intention on trying to throw hard, then yes, it will impact your command. You know, because you yeah. can't double your intentions. But the um, the thing for me is, like, at the end of the day, like, if if you want to be valuable, you have to clock out. Like, you just have to you have to be a guy that can that can roll through lineups. Like the it's not to say relievers aren't valuable, but to me, they're in a, they're in a different category than a guy that can turn a lineup over. Like a guy that can turn a lineup over two and three times at our level is an absolute piece of gold. And a guy that can come in and get you three outs really helps, but it's not the same. And right. to me, if, if I'm coaching a guy and it's like, Hey, look, we can, we can redline your delivery and you might bump a 95 and that would be really cool. Um, but you can kind of pitch, at that maybe 90 to 95% effort level instead of, you know, hitting the pedal on the floor every single time. And you can get a ton of outs for us by, you know, being firm enough to put pressure on the hitter, but also manipulate them with secondary and location. Like that's an easy call for me in terms of value to our team and, you know, what that guy's going to accomplish in his career. Well, there's a, there's a, it's a part of us like a scout's, you know, notes too, is, is a guy max effort and what he does, or is it an easy 90, 92, or if he's a max effort, 92, like this, he's giving everything he's got. Maybe he's got good command like that. Maybe his command is okay, but a guy that's easy. It's like from a projectability standpoint, I think scouts look at that and like, okay, there's probably, there might be some more in there. His command, like we can, we can work with his command because he's not max effort. So maybe it's just something like, He's cutting himself off. Maybe it's more mechanical. Because um, you see it with hitters, too, like guys that are max effort swings, it's like it's hard to corral them back into like a 95% so they get more barrels, just for, if I can relate it to hitting. Like if you're max effort, it's it's hard to bring them back down to something more controllable and get them to at least buy in. Like, hey, the ball's going to go just as far. Five feet over the fence is just as good as 50 feet over the fence. You, like I need you to catch a barrel more. Same thing with a pitcher. Like I need you to, I need you to be in this in the zone more, even if that means ninety instead of ninety three. 
Well, I, yeah, and I don't think it's actually dialing back. I think it's getting mentally absorbed in the task. Because at least from like my... Yeah, well, like from like, my own experience, and I'm sure this is hitting too, when I was like completely focused on A, throwing the piss out of the ball, which I always was, but B, this ball absolutely has to either hit the black or it has to be in. Like I'm going to miss in on this guy. When I'm like completely absorbed at like seeing and everything in my being is getting this ball in on this guy then you're not thinking about your effort level and then you're just competing and then the ball comes out at the speed and you throw it at the intensity that you know you do it like intensity takes care of itself but when you're consciously trying to throw this ball is 95 then there's nothing left that's like what liam said like i i use the analogy of like your computer memory like if you're just a computer if you're spending all of your memory your ram on how hard can i throw this there's nothing left to focus on a task which is hitting your spot or whatever but when you're so engrossed in hitting the spot the other stuff can just like come along for the ride too is that how you kind of uh would think of it liam or no i i think that's perfect dan i mean i think that's um that's a big big part of it is being bought into you know executing the task that's in front of you and that's kind of goes back to what i said at the beginning you got to make the scoreboard the scoreboard yeah um that's a big part of it i will say it, it's also about application of effort right like when you apply it if mm-hmm. we if we want to get in the nitty-gritty of the pitching delivery like i think the guys that are doing what you're talking about where they're, where they're taking all of their intention and they're putting it on trying to throw the ball you know, with a, a lot of velocity and, and not as much, in, you know, focus on execution, you're going to see a lot of effort early on in the delivery. Whereas the guys who their intention is to get aligned with their target and then let it rip, you're going to see the, the, the effort applied when the front foot gets down, Yeah. which, you know, somebody told me a long time ago, you, you can't throw with one foot in the air. You know, it's impossible. Like you got to get both feet down and then, like when our guys get both feet down, I want them to cut it loose. Like, I don't think it works, you know, trying to, you know, drive the car with the, the yeah, governor on. I agree. Like, I think you need to, when that front foot's down, you need to, you need to absolutely let the whip crack. But what, so when I'm talking about being maybe a little bit lower effort, I'm talking about letting the, letting the velocity kind of build as the delivery goes along, not getting out ahead of yourself um, and trying to, almost turn it into like the Olympic javelin or something oh, uh, like yeah, that. I completely um, agree. And you see that with young pitchers when they try to throw harder, they try to throw hard early and then the ball, and then the ball just goes up and you can see it. You can see them trying to do it. Whereas you're right. It's a very tough to be, I'm going to throw the crap out of this ball. Do, 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 do You're relaxed. And then boom, like you said, you crack the whip at the end. That's a really, it's hard to do that. Cause when you're excited and you're about to like, it's hard to not do that early just to then calm back down and then hit the gas late. It's hard to do that. You can't throw the ball with one foot in the air. Challenge accepted. That sounds like a Rod. <laughs> that sounds like a Roger Miller song. Well, 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 can't, well can't maybe roll, not. Can't roller skate in a Buffalo herd. You can't throw a baseball <laughs> with a foot in the air. I will say you can throw with one foot in the air. It's yeah. just not going to go all that well. Um, you Challenge know, accepted. Sir. You know, <laughs> it's um yeah you will you shoot me the video uh bobby we'll, we'll maybe grade out the velo uh on that without getting the front foot down but now I, I i i think you guys you know bring up a lot of good points that um it, probably the fundamental thing is your intention you know like what you're what you're really trying to accomplish and i think that's expressed in the way that you move like 
I've watched a lot of guys pitch a baseball in my time. And I can look at a guy and say, this guy is living or dying with getting this pitch to be where he needs it to be. Yeah. Versus this, this guy is, has come, you know, doesn't have a lot of clarity in his process. You know, he's, um, and you know, th- and that's where you can help a guy. You talk about making command better. I think a lot of it is just beating that divisional mindset. You know, if, if a guy's trying to do two things, I, I, I think there's always, you know, those are the guys who tend to beat themselves is what I would say. Yeah, I would agree. It's like the guys who are really good strike throwers are just very absorbed in, in the channel that's going to take their ball where it needs to go. And the guys who are obsessed with velocity are out there just kind of like in their own separate little world, completely outside of that. So, Liam, what do you guys do to try to foster this? Because I know a lot of the stuff we talk about is unfortunate in the sense that if a dad's at home and he's like, well, what do I do with little Johnny to help him be better at baseball? You're like, uh. yeah, I should have brought this this up earlier. Um, you know, the, the, some of the strategies you have for guys commanding the ball. I think, um, I think it's it, you can kind of put them into three categories. I think the first is getting guys into like productive constraint drills, and that's some of the stuff you were talking about with Coach Siler, like where you're basically almost giving the guys a throwing challenge that promotes the movements that you want. So if a guy um, is lands really heavy on his front foot, kind of gets his upper body moving forward too early in the delivery, maybe you're going to have him, you know, jump back and then make a throw as part of his warm up. You know, we basically tailor each guy's warm up to the constraint drills that are going to get them moving in the way that we're hoping for them to move. Um, so I think that's one of them. I think a gigantic one that is wildly under taught is uh, rhythm and timing. I think every single throw our pitchers make needs to have a timing signature where uh, like literally a cadence that they can count out, you know, one, two, three, throw, whatever it is. And I think there needs to be elements in the way that they move that they can put onto that timing. So what I mean by that is if you and me are playing catch, Dan, and I'm, you know, shuffling and throwing you the ball, we're we're just um, doing our throwing progression in the outfield the way my hands move on every throw, it should be in sync with maybe my front knee and it should be on that cadence that mm-hmm. I have. And I, I need to be able to fall out of bed and repeat that cadence. I'll tell you right now to this day, you know, I, I haven't thrown competitively in a long time, but if I, if I throw two balls in a row in BP, you can watch my mouth and you'll see my, my lips move counting out that cadence. So I'm not trying to throw three balls in a row in BP. Yeah. Um, that's no good. So I, I, I usually, I, I appreciate the heck out of that. I, I, um, <laughs> I tell guys that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't claim a lot. I, you know, I, I try hard as a husband and a father. I'm an honest guy, and I throw a lot of strikes in BP. Those are, those are kind of the boxes. <laughs> I'll pass that. Everything else is absolutes. This is the absolutes yeah. of life, right there. I'm, yeah, I'm I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to claim too much else, but those things I can, I can. What if that's, what if that's the difference that gets you through the pearly gates? They're like, man, you're on the fence, but impeccable BP, man. Come on in, get yourself yeah. a some cloud. Qu- some questionable life choices, but man, your batting practice plays this plays up here. Get in, come well, on in. That that that's a religion that maybe uh, I could sign up for. But Joe, um, Joe Boo, that's where Joe Boo is waiting to greet you. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, you know, you got to set a tone, but uh, the, the, just having a timing to every single throw, like to me, if the feet are moving at a different signature, that's a problem. Uh, when a guy's in a windup, if he's not using his step back and the pivot with his feet to establish a tempo in his delivery, 
I think that's generally a problem. You see some big league guys who can play around with that. And I think we have, we've had guys who have gotten to a point where as long as they got to the top of their leg lift, they could do it a number of different ways. But once they broke their hands, their timing was so good that, that they could give the hitter different looks. Anybody who's struggling at all to command the baseball, I think that's really tough. Um, and you just got to give them a, a, a single timing for every throw they make. And then the last thing is ball flight, right? You got to understand your ball flight. You got to get to the same spot at, at release. And if I'm a, let's say I'm a two seam guy, I'm trying to sink the baseball. Once again, I'm playing catch with Dan. Like when, when, as he's moving back, I've got to get the ball the same shape. It's going to, it's going to change by distance, but that ball's going to have the same shape. And like, if it's a two seam guy and um, you know, Dan's right-handed, I would want his, maybe his mitt like backhand, like opened up to so that ball could could go straight in it. If you understand what I'm saying, yeah. I want to visualize the ball's shape mm-hmm. every time because when I get on the mound, locating that two seamer is all about where I started and knowing that the um, the movement's going to take it to the spot. Our players have heard me say, hundred literally hundreds of times, it's, it's a paper airplane with a bent nose. You know, you just you got to start it in the right spot. And know that the the ball flight's going to be something you can predict. If it, the ball flight's unpredictable, then Greg Maddox can't command it. Like nobody can command that. Right. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that because my last season, when my shoulder was like killing me, and I was like frantically trying to find ways to get people out because the way I always pitched wasn't working because my stuff like wasn't the same. I started throwing a two seamer on advice of I don't know, I was crowdsourcing. And it was perplexing. I remember, I, I remember like the first couple that I threw where I released the pitch. And of course, me throwing all four seamers like th- the five years prior to that, I released a pitch and like as it left my fingers, I like knew it was a strike at the bottom of the zone. And then it was a ball hitting the dirt right, right at the catcher's mitt. And I was like, no, that was a, that's a strike. Wait, I was like confused because I knew like the way it came off my hands and the trajectory that it was supposed to be a strike but because it was now a sinker two seamer instead of, of a four seamer that would have like risen up and stayed at the bottom it was a ball and then i did it again and it was the same exact thing and i was like what no i'm not supposed to be two and i should be zero and two right now or he should have grounded out like this doesn't make sense and it was it was honestly such a strange feeling because i knew i threw a strike and yet it was a ball um so yeah, understanding like you have to at that point I was like, what do I do? I have to like throw this sinker like at the mid thigh. Like I didn't even th- have to think about where what I would do prior, but now it's like I had to retarget everything, and it was it was strange, and it was a kind of like I felt very lost. So anyway, the, the ins- Dan Dan making himself go insane in real time pro ball career. Where I've it's seen like that, be, it's like a hitter that sees a great pitch and he just fouls it straight back and it's like, yeah, you're like, wait, what? I I hit yeah. home run on that. I hit home run. I, that not home run. I, hit, I barrel ball. I barrel ball now and then you swing and miss and that's just you're you just fighting. You're just fighting uphill battle. Yeah, I was gonna say where, where I've seen that be a real challenge for young pitchers is changeups. Mm-hmm. because guys just always cite their changeups at the bottom of the zone. It always falls out of the bottom of the zone. If the hitter sees anything where it turns over at all, it's just a take. I've had to coach so many guys over the years that, hey, you have to try and throw the changeup at the mask, which yeah. feels uncomfortable because yeah. it's like, wait a second, I'm going to throw the ball slower than I can throw it, higher than I want it to be. Like that's And, and that's where it comes back to 
understanding your ball flight and, mm-hmm. you know, buying into what you need to buy into to be a real competitor. So like, right. and that, and that's where guys like for a guy to have a plus changeup at our level, he has to have the conviction usually, cause it's usually going to have more depth than the fastball. He's got to have the conviction to throw it, you know, at the, the neck guard or the mask. And that's a separator. There's a lot of guys in division one baseball that have like, you watch them in the eight pitch and be like, man, that's, it's pretty good changeup, like good arm speed. It's got you know, like good movement, you know, good separation from the fastball, and it's a total non-factor because they just never throw it in the zone because yeah. they don't have the conviction to throw it high enough. Yeah, a little nervous to throw it. That's a I feel like that's a that's the Achilles heel of the of a lot of kids when they have a changeup. Yeah, just they're scared to throw it. They don't trust it as much, and it's like don't worry about that. It's slower. Don't worry that it's slower than a fastball. Like it doesn't. That's the point. Throw it. Trust it. Just let it go. Throw it again. Trust it. It's they trust things that they can throw at full speed, or that goes at a speed that they're comfortable throwing. I feel like at least for younger guys that I see. I remember my first college changeup that I threw that I got a swing and miss on. I like I vividly remember it because I taught myself that pitch in the winter, and then I threw it in the game and I watched it go straight, like dead straight, right for the middle of the strike zone, and I was like starting to like hide <laughs> as it was mid-flight, and then the dude whiffed, and I was like, whoa. That was, it was like wild because I'd never, <laughs> like thrown, I'd never thrown a competitive changeup before that day. I didn't throw one as a kid. I always had a good curveball. It was just like fastball curveball. And I was just like, new pitch, here goes. And it was legit scary. I was like waiting for it to come back to my face. Well, yeah. well like, a like person of, put a Mentos in a Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of our conversation, guys, it, it, it and there, this has, this is scouting as well. It goes back to, it's uncomfortable to be exposed in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Like if you're a scouting director and you draft a guy that's 88, 91 and he gets banged in a ball, like that's a rough look. You know, if you, if you draft a guy that's 95, 98 and he gets smashed in a ball, that's, Hey, what do you, who who, could have thunk it? Like the guy can't get anybody out. Um, And it's, it's the same thing for our guys. Like guys don't at uh, a lot of times, Bobby, you're you're exactly right. Guys don't want to get beat trying to pitch certain ways they want to if, if they want to get beat it's it's hey look i'm just going to try and throw it by this guy and you know that's that's kind of what's worked for me in my career and you know i'm going to i'm kind of going to live and die with that and and, and that's where you know my job as a as a coach comes in is you got to get them to buy into a certain identity and not everybody's identity could be the same we have certain guys where it's like hey you're going to try and be an outlier stuff guy you've got like a ton of carry we're going to throw a ton of fastballs we're going to make them as fast as possible you know, and see if we can get guys swing underneath the ball. And most guys can do that. You know, that's, that's the nature of being an outlier. Most people aren't outliers. Yeah. So I like what you said earlier that I, I'm exactly right. I appreciate that. <laughs> 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 yeah. The, um, you're ready for politics, my man. I need a bunch of yes men next to me. You're in. <laughs> yeah. So, so, th- so that's, a, I think that's a, a really big part of it. Like, like I said, I don't have all this stuff you know, completely hammered down. I don't think anybody does, uh, but I, you know, those are the kind of things that I think about when we're talking about trying to, you know, get guys to, to really just to execute pitches and, and, and just how important that is for so many guys to be successful at our level and how under, you know, emphasized it is on their way to our level, you know, right. and I, I'm, I didn't spend time in Pro Bowl, but I'm sure it's the same as you move up the chain, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, and even within Pro Bowl, you know, like the, the things that made you successful 
to get access to the next level won't necessarily make you a success once you get there. And that's a kind of a big part of the art of, art of pitching and the art of right. coaching. Yeah. Well, Liam, this was a great talk. I appreciate you coming back on the show. I mean, like you said, I think we covered a lot of the different avenues from command because no one really does have an answer. And I think it's been like, oh, we got to put these fancy targets in the bullpen. We got to do this. We got to do that. But there really does seem to be something intangible. And I think you hit a lot of the different uh, threads in that discussion really well. So, um, man, we just appreciate you coming back on. You have a lot of really good insight. And, man, college baseball is coming back in whatever form. So I'm excited for you guys. <laughs> What are you looking oh, forward? What, what are you looking forward to most? What one thing in this fall? Is it hitting a fungo? Uh, is it just batting uh, practice? <laughs> yeah, sure. Actually, we take it off the machine a lot now, just to because the my 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 velo is not quite NCAA D one you know game speed uh, these days. But <laughs> the just being with our guys on the field and and, and getting to um, getting to do the work, you know, is that that one's easy. Like you know, being with our pitchers while we're doing this stuff and not just, um, this was fun for me because, you know, I'm, I'm starved for, for this kind of, uh, you know, deep talk on, you know, some of the concepts that we want to put into practice, mm -hmm. uh, this fall. So it was, it was helpful for, uh, for me. Um, but getting a chance to do it with a bunch of like talented, motivated people, like there's, you know, it's, it's hard to replace that. So yeah, I'm right. excited that we get to do it again. All right, Bob, you want to send us off? Liam, appreciate you coming back on. Uh, we will see everybody on whatever episode we resume on the morning brushback. Thanks. Georgia.